Father God, for us as a local church, um, as we um, take steps together to serve one another and to serve the world around us, Lord, will you help us to stay in tune with your spirit? Thank you for everybody that you have given us. Lord, we would be poorer without every single person in our church. And we've all got our part to play. And this is just one part that one person's willing to play for the good of us all and for the benefit of us all. And I pray your blessing on Jumi as she takes this role. Lord, as she, along with Judith and Charlie and Steve, are getting to know how to work together in these early days, Lord, would you put your blessing on them? And would we be stronger because of the role they'll play going forward for us? Lord, as we, uh, we come to the Bible and we open it together and we read together, Lord, may our hearts be open to you. May you, through your word, speak to us. And Lord, may the words that I use, may they be helpful. But Lord, more than that, as we listen together, may we hear that other voice, the voice of your spirit, who speaks into our situations and brings this word alive and challenges us and shapes us and equips us for the whole of life. Come, Holy Spirit, take your word, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you've been part of our church for any time at all, you know that when we do this in person, um, then quite regularly, um, at the end of a sermon, I'll say, so what are you thinking? What were you thinking as, as I was preaching, as I was directing it at the word? And I want to do that again this morning. Um, so when we get to the end of the sermon, there will be that question. So what, what questions arise? What thoughts were going through your mind? What would you want to say? What would you want to highlight? What would you want to encourage one another with? What would you want to push back on even? And uh, so when we get to that moment in the chat, I just invite you to do that. Um, but kind of like want to give you notice that that's what we're going to do. I'm going to share with you the screen uh for um the passage we're going to be looking at um one of the things that it becomes very apparent in the new testament is that the new testament doesn't really have this idea that faith is so very personal and private that it's just something between you and god the new testament has none of that idea from the very beginning is very much this idea that Jesus is Lord of the whole of your lives and that it affects everything, everything we do, everything we, we see, the way we see things, the way we react and act, and not least with our generosity, the generosity of our hearts, the generosity of our spirit, and the generosity of, uh, of our money, what we do with our stuff. Whenever you read the Bible, it's whether you read it on a daily basis for yourself or when we read it in church, at our best, the reading is never in isolation. The worst sort of coming to the Bible is, right, I'm going to switch my mind off everything that's been happening around me and I'm just coming to the Bible to get what the Bible's got for me. And certainly in church, that's the worst sort of preaching, because, of course, we're always preaching in a context. There's a private individual context, the context that you face as an individual, but there's then the bigger context that we face. And it's hard this week 
not to preach except against the context that says wow look at what's been happening the backdrop that's been happening for the last two weeks following the killing of that guy in america primarily it's about america but it's raised issues in the uk and again as jumi said a little earlier it kind of feels like a moment where we're asking the big questions about who we are and who we can be together. It's about racism and discrimination, about injustice and about poverty. And for those of us who are Christians, it takes us back, it jolts us back to Jesus' teaching who says, what does it mean to be living before God? It means that primarily love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, everything you have, and love your neighbor as yourself. It can feel a little bit like motherhood and apple pie, except unless you remember that the very next thing that Jesus will say after he said this is, let me explain to you who your neighbor is. And at that time, he talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan. In their day, the last person you would expect. I find it really important to remind myself not to be really judgmental about the injustice I see that others do, or even the racism I see in others, and then miss it in myself. It's easy to forget that for you, your neighbor, if you're in Prestwich or Broughton, is the Orthodox Jewish community. Or if you're in Eccles, your neighbor is the Asian community that live all around you. So in Langworthy, your neighbor is the Polish community. And so it goes. It might be your neighbor are what you would might call the chavs who lives down the street. But this is who we are called down the street. But this is who we are called to live. This is who we are called to be with. And as we read through the book of Acts, we will pick up on a lot of the issues that actually we're talking about as a society, about privilege, about power, about wealth and about race. And we're not reading those into the book of Acts, but actually the book of Acts presents them to us. This is what the early church needed to come to terms with. How do you deal with privilege and how do you deal with power when you're the ones in power? And how do you deal with power when you're not in power? How do you deal with wealth and how do you deal with poverty? And how does the spirit of God enable us to deal with race and racism and ethnic boundaries and as we read through the book of acts as i said time and time and time again we'll be faced with these issues issues that we're still struggling with and sometimes we'll see the church act really well and at other times we'll see the church failing and sometimes you'll just see the mix of both, the church at its best and the church at its worst. And the reading, today's reading, that we've sort of had planned for ages, gives us that story.
the church at its best and the church at its worst. I've asked Nev just to read uh, for this. Uh, so we'll unmute Nev and uh, give him a chance and then we'll read together uh, from this passage. It's Acts chapter uh, 4, verse 31. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that, all, uh, that there was no need, needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Thanks, Nev, that's great. Last week, um, the passage we, we read last week, the passage that just comes before this passage that Nev just read for us, indicated that they, the church, were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That's what marked this new community out, filled with the breath of God and absolutely committed to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. What they knew and what God was doing was creating this community that was brought to life and kept alive by the Spirit and absolutely committed to this idea that Jesus has risen from the dead and all things can be new. The Spirit and the resurrection 
led to a new community who demonstrated what that new way of living would be like. And one of the first marks of that community was generosity. You get Luke telling us, all the believers were one in heart and mind. That beautiful sense that this community totally committed to one another. They knew one another and they were willing to lay down what they had for one another. And in a sense, what they were doing was challenging the existing status quo. It was a challenging uh, the myth that there wasn't enough and therefore you had to hold on because no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything they had. This sounds very similar to what Luke's done at the end of chapter two. It's almost like a repeat, but it emphasizes this bringing together of people. And they were united and they shared what they had because they said, actually what we own is not our own, but it belongs to the Lord and therefore it belongs to you. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. There was no needy person amongst them. Look at how Luke puts that up, sets that up. God's grace is at work in us. How do you know? Well, look at this community. You want evidence of the grace of God? Look how much people share. Look how they use their wealth. You Look how they use their money. And suddenly what you've got in this community is this sense of economic justice. When the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and said, look, the Spirit is doing a new work in you. Doesn't matter if you're old or young, doesn't matter if you're a male or a female, it doesn't matter whether you're a slave or whether you're a free person. And here it's saying, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, actually you belong together, we are together. It's not about givers and receivers, but we're in it together. This new community is radically different. This is what justice looks like, where the poorest are not left behind. It's what a community looks like where we see each other and we know one another and we know how to care. It's a community to say it's not okay to accept the status quo. And it's not okay for us in our country to go, well, there's rich and poor, it's just the way things are. It's not okay to say, well, there is racial injustice, it's just the way things are. As a church, we're called to be filled with the Spirit, committed to the resurrection of Jesus, and that that will change the form of our church together. And as the church, it's not enough just to say, well, we've got people of all different races in our church, isn't that wonderful? No, no, no. We've got to be absolutely committed to one another, regardless of our backgrounds. What went on? Well, they sold their assets and they gave away. No longer were they only thinking of themselves, but from time to time, this was not imposed. They didn't have to do it, but the grace of God moved them and they shared what they had. Those of you who know me well know that I love seeing how, not only what the message is, but also how it's portrayed. And I love what Luke does here. So Luke says, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need, that mark of generosity. And then he introduces two people to us, short little cameo features really of two people. 
Joseph, an outsider, a man from Cyprus, wasn't part of the Jerusalem setup, had come, presumably migrated for any number of reasons, but Joseph comes. And Joseph, Luke tells us, was such an encourager that he got the nickname Barnabas, son of encouragement. It's like he's such a brilliant bloke. He's the bloke you want around. And this Joseph, who comes with property, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. That same pattern that Luke says, generally this happened, and then he introduces you as Joseph, this man who sold a field, brought the money, and put it at the apostles' feet. And here you see, perhaps the church at his best, sort of like typified in this one man, Joseph. When you sell a field or when you sell property, particularly then, but equally so true now, what you're doing is you're giving away your future. You're saying, actually, I trust the Lord more than I trust my own financial planning. I'll give away my future so that others can live. It's the church at its best. And then you get this longer story of Ananias and Sapphira. But look at what Luke does. Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property, brought the rest of the money and put it at the apostles' feet. It's the same pattern. It's almost like Ananias and Sapphira are coming and doing exactly the same. They're fitting the same pattern. It's the same as Joseph. They're just falling in line, except for one thing, of course. And we heard it read by Nev. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. Now, here's the thing. Ananias and Sapphira didn't have to sell a piece of property. They didn't have to give all of the money away. But what was wrong was they tried to deceive the community. In other words, what they did was they sold a piece of property and they bring the money and they say, that's what we got for the property. It's all here and it's for the poor. But they hadn't quite done that. They kept back part of the money but they didn't need to. Nobody would have blamed them for keeping back part of the money. It wasn't a requirement of the church. Nobody was saying, this is what you must do. And it certainly wasn't what the apostles were saying is you have to sell what you have. This was free will. But the problem was they tried to lie to the community. We don't really know why but it's not hard to guess, is it? Because it's not hard to see yourself in their position. It's not hard to see yourself doing something similar, perhaps. Maybe being a little jealous of the approval that Joseph was getting. Joseph's got a new name, Barnabas. Is it too impossible to imagine Ananias and Sapphira going, this incomer, he's getting all, he's getting all the attention. And yeah, he sold a field, but what? We're being overlooked. Why? What if we sold something? It's not impossible, is it, to imagine that that was what was going through their head, that sort of jealousy. It's not impossible to imagine that they wanted the applause that they'd seen Joseph get. It's not impossible to imagine that they wanted people to have a better impression of them. It's not impossible to imagine that they might be doing what today we would call virtue signalling. 
in other words, everybody's outraged. We feel we have to be outraged too. Everybody's being generous. We feel we have to be generous too. And so they lie. And Peter, uh, by the way, just to, <laughs> to remind you, the apostles don't kill them. <laughs> it's not church leaders who kill them. It's that actually when asked, is this what you got? Then they die. Ananias first and then Sapphira on a dreadful day. And Peter asked specifically, is this, is this the money you got? And Sapphira says, yes. And at that moment, she too dies. A horrific moment. But just think, what would have happened if they got away with it? What if their lies had been accepted? What if they'd never had to own up? What sort of church would you become then? This challenge of generosity. You see others being generous and it challenges you. And uh, here the challenge of generosity was let's give an impression, but let's not be, let's not be as wholehearted as others. Let's hold back a bit. What was the result of it all? Well, Luke tells us at the end of this, in verse 11, unsurprisingly, perhaps, great fear seized the whole church. Well, it would, wouldn't it? I mean, to live through that, to have seen the generosity, and now see actually what happens when you lie, then you die. Then great fear would seize you. You'd be like, you can't muck about with this stuff. It's like God's, God's really, God's, God's at work here. And it's not just the good stuff, but actually you can't mess about with the holiness of God. You can't lie to one another. You can't just try and get other people to think well of you. If we're going to be generous, then let's be generous wholeheartedly. Let's not think we can just play with this sort of stuff. Fear sees the church. And then there's an interesting sort of addition that you might not pick up on. It's easy to overlook until it's pointed out to you. There's fear, but Luke for the very first time says, great fear seized the church. First time he's called this group of people, the church. It's almost like in this moment with the generous hearts, with one in heart and mind, sharing what they had and yes, facing the holiness of God, they become the church. You read this passage against all that's happened this week, in the last couple of weeks, and the things that people are saying, and the things you've seen being recorded and put on video and social media, and injustice and oppression. What does it mean to be a church? It means that actually as the church, we say together, this is not okay. But as church together, we're formed differently. 
It's one thing to say it's wrong what those police do in America. It's wrong what people of colour face when they're discriminated against. But actually, it's another thing internally to say, Lord, will you foremost differently? It's another thing when we say internally, we need to be different. It's, it's, it's one thing to sort of say to the government, you've got to care for the poor. Benefit system have to be better. It's not good enough that people on benefits have to wait so long and be so and feel so much like the victim. But it's another thing for us to say as a church, but actually we want to be formed differently. We want in our community, no needy people. And at that point, if you're honest, it probably feels like, oh, yeah, I get this now. I get why it's difficult. I get why it's not going to be easy. I get why I'm going to be challenged. I get why this might mean something significant for me. The fear of the holy and the formation of the church. If we're going to play our part, then actually both of those things need to be in our hearts, that actually we give ourselves, that we live towards one another in a way that creates a community that is shaped differently, that might be a demonstration for the sake of the world and reaches out and says to the world, please come and join us because we've experienced the life of the spirit. And we are absolutely committed to the truth of the resurrection of the Jesus and of, of Jesus. And this is what it's creating, this new community. The challenge of generosity, the mark of the spirit, the truth of the resurrection and the formation of the church.